Good morning. Today, Pastor Bruce is going to continue his Christmas series. Um, today, we'll be looking at Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. So please grab your Bible and turn to Isaiah 9. Uh, if you do not have a Bible, feel free to grab a pew Bible from in front of you. Today's scripture reading will be on page 680. So um, again, that is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Please follow along as I read. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppression, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness, from the time, this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Please bow your head with me as I pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for this time we can come together as a church body in fellowship. We thank you for the gift of your son's birth and the light he shone into the world. We thank you for the gift of his sacrifice on the cross that covers our sins. And even more, we thank you for the gift of his resurrection. Lord, help us remember the importance of these gifts this Christmas. Be with Pastor Bruce this morning. Give him wisdom and confidence as he teaches from your word and soften our hearts and open our ears to the truths in your word. I'll also pray in your son's name. Amen. We are continuing in our series, Vintage Christmas. Series we began last Sunday where we are rediscovering the timeless hope of our Savior Jesus Christ. And oh, do we need the hope of Jesus, especially when dark despair overwhelms us. There are times when crisis or tragedy strikes a nation and dark despair sweeps across the whole country, such as when Pearl Harbor was bombed in a surprise attack on December 7th of 1941, or, or when the World Trade Center was hit by two planes in a terrorist attack on September 11th, 2001. But there are also times when a crisis or a tragedy hits much closer to home. And that feeling of dark despair sweeps over you personally. Whether it's a loss of a job, a marriage in, ends in divorce, a spouse is diagnosed with cancer, a child is killed in a car accident, and the list can go on and on that might cause this dark despair. 
This, this feeling of dark despair, it, it overwhelms you. In fact, it can feel like someone has turned out the lights on your life. Over the course of uh, my pastoring here at our church, there have been a handful of times where I've been in the basement of this auditorium, and there's no windows in the basement here. And so if you've ever been in the basement here and somebody has turned out the lights, it's, it's rather dark. In fact, it is pitch dark, and there have been times I've been in the basement and somebody has unknowingly turned out the lights, and your first reaction is you just want to yell, hey, I'm still here. Turn the lights back on. The darkness just sweeps over you. And yet, in a very real way, when we go through times in life of crisis, difficulty, tragedy, that dark despair, it feels like somebody has turned out the lights in your life. And in those times, that's when we need to know there is hope for a better future. And this hope is found in a child. You ask, what child is this? It's it's this child, it's this hope of Jesus Christ. A Savior, a Messiah King who who will deliver us from the dark despair in our lives. In the days of the prophet Isaiah, God's people were were walking in the dark despair of doom and gloom as a result of sin. In fact, Isaiah chapter 8 details a little bit how this happened. The shadows of growing despair and deep gloom descended on the country of Judah as King Ahaz and the majority of God's people there departed from the Lord. They departed from following God. They began to rebel against God and worship other false gods. And as a result of their continued rebellion against God, God finally had enough. He handed over both the country of Judah and Israel over to their sin and even to their enemies. Already, God was using the Assyrian country, the Assyrian war machine of that day to invade the the kingdom of Israel and to devastate it, and and Judah was next. We come to the end here of chapter 8 of Isaiah, and it tells us just how dark and despairing things were. Isaiah chapter 8, verses 21 and 22 says, "...they will pass through the land." greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. And yet it's in the midst of this bleak picture of doom and gloom that a ray of hope shines brilliantly and gloriously, in fact, so much that it radically changes the very perspective of God's people in that day. And this hope is none other than the promise of a child. Isaiah ends, Isaiah 8 that is, ends with this darkness of gloom and doom, but Isaiah chapter 9 opens with the, the hope of light instead of darkness, the the hope of joy instead of anguish. And God says through the prophet Isaiah in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 9 here, 
but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. The people who walked in darkness have now seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And what is the result of this great light now shining on the country of Judah, on God's people? The people now respond with great joy in verse 3. It says, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you at the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil. And behind it all, at the root of all of this, the cause of great joy here is this ray of hope in the midst of doom and gloom. The cause of it all is this promised child. Notice again the hope of this child. We read it here in verses 6 and 7. It's a rather familiar passage of Scripture especially here at Christmas time, but notice it again. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so 700 years before, the angels sang and the, and the shepherds came and the wise men sought out the birth of the Christ child. Isaiah here, the prophet Isaiah, explains just who this child is for us. And so what is this child? Notice, first of all, what child is this? This child is miraculous in how he came. The very first part of verse 6 tells us, the miraculous way in which Jesus Christ came when it says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. How did this child came? Notice, first of all, Jesus came in earthly humanity. When Isaiah says, for to us a child is born, it underscores the, the humanity of Jesus Christ here. It describes his birth as a baby in Bethlehem, Jesus was miraculously born as a baby to the Virgin Mary, which is simply a way of describing his incarnation, in which the Son of God took on human nature and became a man. Speaking of Jesus, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says, Since the, the children have flesh and blood, he, speaking of Jesus, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Paul adds this insight in Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. And so Jesus came in earthly humanity, born of the Virgin Mary. It was miraculous indeed. But number two, Jesus also came in his heavenly deity. It says, for to us a son is given. And this implies the deity of Jesus Christ. And it describes his eternal essence, his eternal being. 
as one pastor and author said, the son wasn't born. The son eternally existed. The child was born. And the son was given. In other words, Jesus was not born as a son. Why? Because he was already a son. He existed before his birth as a child, as the eternal son of God, the second person of the Trinity. One pastor and author, James Merritt, put it like this. Jesus Christ came in the person of deity wrapped in the package of humanity. Now, this merging together of Jesus' humanity and deity into one person is indeed a great mystery. How do you explain such a miracle? You explain another than it was a miracle by the God himself. In fact, 1 Timothy 3.16 says, Great indeed we confess. In other words, we confess this truth to be so is the mystery of godliness. In other words, the mystery of Jesus Christ, God was manifested in the flesh. John Phillips captured it beautifully when he wrote, the great mystery of the manger is that God should be able to translate deity into humanity without discarding the deity or distorting the humanity. And so this child, in which we celebrate the birth here at Christmas time, it is miraculous in how he came the first time. This child, number two, though, is also majestic in who he is. Majestic in who he is. In the Bible, the the name of a person means far, far more than just the way to identify someone, which is, is what we use names for today in our culture. My two sons are called Tyler and Jack. Now, their names have some significance behind their names, but really the significance is only to my wife and myself. To you all, there's no significance. They're just known as Tyler and Jack. It's how we identify them, just as your children, for the most part. We identify people by their names. But in Bible times, the name of a person had far greater meaning. In fact, the name revealed the character of a person. The name revealed who they were at the core. And Isaiah reveals four names of Jesus Christ here, this child. And each one of these names unlocks an aspect of his character. These four names teach us, in other words, who this child is and and how this child came to help us even today. As we sang this morning, one Christmas carol rhetorically asked, what child is this who lay to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? And so if you have ever had that question in your mind, listen again to Isaiah's answer in verse 6. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So who is this child? Well, Jesus is called Wonderful Counselor. In other words, we ought to trust him because of that. The name Wonderful Counselor literally means a a wonder of a counselor. And it speaks of Jesus' infinite wisdom. That is, the counsel of Jesus is out of this world. It is supernatural. It is from above. Isaiah 28, 29 says, This also comes from the Lord of hosts 
who is wonderful in counsel and excellent in guidance. Wow. Here is a person whose counsel is indeed wonderful. It is counsel that comes with wisdom. It's counsel that comes with great understanding. It is strong counsel that is full of knowledge. And most of all, it is the counsel of God himself through his son, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.24 teaches us that Jesus is the wisdom of God. And so here is a counselor unlike any other the world has ever known. Counselors and psychologists make their living giving advice, giving counsel. But their wisdom is limited. Whereas the wisdom of Jesus Christ is unlimited because he is the source of all wisdom. The Apostle Paul put it this way when speaking of Jesus in Colossians 2, 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That is in Jesus Christ. And I love what Paul writes about Jesus in Romans 11, verses 33 and 30 through 36. It says, oh, the depth of riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. And his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. Do you realize what this means even for us today here? It means there are really no other counselors like this counselor. There is no other counselor here on earth like Jesus Christ. It means Jesus is the only one with sufficient answers to our problems. It means that Jesus understands things which are beyond, way beyond our ability of our finite minds to comprehend. Jesus knows the ways of God. He understands God's plans and purposes. He understands how it all fits together into our lives for our own good and most of all for the glory of his Father. Jesus' knowledge, his insight, his wisdom, it far exceeds any man who has ever lived. Why? Because Jesus is the source of all wisdom. It's rather amazing, isn't it? It's amazing what Jesus can do in our lives when we trust him, when we follow his wisdom, his guidance, his ways that are revealed for us in his word, the scriptures, the Holy Bible. Are you confused about life? Are you experiencing problems in life? whether financial problems, marriage problems, parenting problems, work problems. Are you in trouble financially? Are you pulling your hair out over raising your kids? Seek counsel. Yes, it's worthy to seek the counsel of other believers that you trust in, that you can respect, but it's even more important to seek the counsel of the one who knows everything. 
Seek the counsel of Jesus Christ because he can do wonders as your counselor. Isaiah 25, 1 says, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name for you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. Paul tells us in Ephesians 1.11 that Jesus works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so Jesus here, Isaiah is showing us, revealing to us that this child, this promised child who came when Jesus came, is a wonderful counselor. May we trust him. May we follow his counsel and depend upon it. Jesus, number two, though, is also called mighty God. May we rely on him. You take the first two names of Jesus and what do you have? Listen, as a wonderful counselor, Jesus makes the plans and they are perfect plans. And as mighty God, Jesus makes those plans work. And what are Jesus' plans? You might be wondering that. What are the plans of Jesus Christ? Well, they're revealed in Scripture to us, but in the context of Isaiah chapter 9, and specifically here verse 6, it's to establish his government as the ultimate king. And think about this. As mighty God, Jesus has what it takes to do just that. As mighty God, Jesus is powerful. He is almighty to do what needs to be done. Just ponder this with me for a moment. It's one thing to say that you are going to do something. It is quite another to actually have the ability, the wisdom, and the resources to actually accomplish it. And as the mighty God, there is nothing, nothing that Jesus cannot do. There is nothing that his power cannot accomplish. May that truth, that reality, grip your heart and mind. There's nothing Jesus cannot accomplish. In Jeremiah 32, 27, God asks the question, is anything too difficult for me? It's a rhetorical question with an obvious answer. No, there's nothing too difficult for you, Lord. When Mary asked, how is it possible for, for her to be the mother of God's son since she was still a virgin? The angel Gabriel told her in Luke 1, verse 37, for with God nothing will be what? Impossible. And so in a, in a song of praise to God, Mary then de de declared in verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. And then Mary reflected, how God came in power to deliver his people from Egypt, how, how God drove their enemies from the promised land, and how God kept them year after year and sustained his people. Listen, that is our God too. It's not just Mary's God, that's our God. And what he has done for others, he is powerful enough to do for us. In different ways, of course, Yes, we have different problems. We encounter different circumstances than what God's people did in the Old Testament. And God has different goals for us as his people today than he had for the ancient Jewish people in the Old Testament. But mind you, the power of that mighty God is also ours as his people today. So let us rely on him. Why would we rely on ourselves? 
when we have an almighty God to rely on. As mighty God, Jesus Christ empowers us to actually do his will, just as he did with Mary. And he does it by the power of his spirit that he gave us when he ascended into glory. He left us that spirit. And the moment we become believers in Jesus Christ, that spirit seals the deal in our lives. And we have the power of God to fulfill the will of God in our lives for the very glory of God. So Jesus is a wonderful counselor. He is a mighty God. And Jesus is also called the everlasting father. Let us follow him as our father then. This title, everlasting father, it literally means father of eternity. Now that begs a question. How can Jesus, the son of God, be called the father of eternity? Doesn't make sense, does it? People who establish new companies, even countries, are often referred to as founding fathers. For example, in, in Scripture, Satan is the father of lies. William Carey is called the father of modern missions. And of course, one of my all-time favorites, James Naismith, is known as the father of basketball having invented the game. In other words, fathers start new things. They establish new things, paving the way for others to follow them. And in the same way, Jesus is the father of eternity. As the son of God, Jesus came to earth as a virgin-born child, and as a man, he died for the sins of the world. If you don't know it yet, sin, by the way, is our greatest problem, and death is the consequence of our sin. But by rising from the dead in his resurrection, Jesus was victorious over death. And, and in that resurrection, Jesus paved the way for all now who put their trust in him to also conquer death. Not only physical death, but eternal death as well. That's the reason Jesus now can, can offer to us eternal life to all, to whoever believes in him. And since Jesus is the, the founder or, or the establisher of eternal life, Jesus is now called the father of eternity. That's why we can find eternal life in Jesus Christ. But everlasting father, it's also interesting, is it's also descriptive of who Jesus is to you and I personal. Jesus is, think about it with me, he, he is fatherly in his care and in his compassion to his children. He acts towards us as a father, a, a good father, a, a perfect father. Jesus is always there as our provider and our protector. He's never too busy. He's never preoccupied. He's not disinterested in the affairs of his sons and daughters. Jesus loves us forever. So follow him as your everlasting father. And then the last name that Isaiah gives to this child is none other than Prince of Peace. Oh, let us receive him. Let us receive him. The prophet Isaiah confronts us 
with a revolutionary thought concerning the very source of peace in our world. He assures us here in this verse that peace is not merely a concept. It's not merely a a place that we go to as much as we like to say, I can't wait for a vacation of peace and relaxation. I can't wait to go to the beach where I can just tip my toes in the sand and in that warm water and have a little peace. Now, that's a moment of peace, a day, a week, but it's only temporary peace at best. You see, Isaiah is showing us here. He's he's revealing to us here that this child, who is called Prince of Peace, that peace is a person. Peace is found in this unique prince who is the Son of God. And because Jesus is the Son of God, he has the power, he has the authority to bring peace to our lives and even this world. Isaiah teaches us that the Prince of Peace is none other than the long-awaited Messiah who is God in the flesh. You go back two chapters here in Isaiah to chapter 7, verse 14, and it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name what? Do you remember? Emmanuel. And Emmanuel, that name means what? God with us. And that's why we will only... Find peace, true peace, in the person of Jesus Christ. When it comes to our personal peace, and even world peace, Isaiah is saying peace is a person. Peace is a glorious, majestic, all-powerful person who is Emmanuel, God with us. Speaking of Jesus, Paul says in Ephesians 2.14, for he himself is our peace. Listen, what do people want more than anything in this world of ours? This world is chaos that we're living in. It's a fallen world. It's a dysfunctional world. We shouldn't expect any more than that until Jesus comes and makes things all right and therefore... What do people want in the midst of a chaotic, dysfunctional, sin-filled world is peace. And folks, that's what Jesus came to give us. He came to give us peace. Our most basic problem, though, is we are not at peace. We're not at peace with a holy God. We are at war with God according to the terms that the Bible gives us because we want to be our own God. We want to live our own lives. We want to determine our own ways. And the good news is Jesus overcame this enmity that we have with God, and he did so with his death on the cross. In other words, he bridged the gap making peace between us and God now possible when we trust him as our Savior and Lord. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, who is none other than this child of Isaiah chapter 9. That's the Prince of Peace. 
Jesus not only came to provide us with peace with God, a, a holy God, but also the peace of God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Jesus tells us in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So God not only wants to give us peace that confirms and settles our eternal destiny, but he also wants to give us peace that actually brings us a sense of security and hope to our earthly journey here now. This is why Paul writes in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, this is why the apostle Paul, he, he exhorts us, he says, listen, be anxious for nothing. And yet how many people live in this life of ours, this world here, anxious and worrying about everything, it seems like. And Paul writes and tells us, especially those who are Christ followers, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ, this promised child, this child of hope in Isaiah 9. This is amazing. This is spectacular. This is incredible because this means everyone who now has the peace of God can go through times of crisis, times of difficulty, times of even tragedy, and still have what? The peace of God in their heart. That's the kind of peace this world knows nothing of. That's the kind of peace that's unexplainable in so many ways. It surpasses the logical understanding of this world. And yet this is the kind of peace that this child promises to us here today. No, this peace, it is, listen to me, it is not the absence of conflict. It is not the absence of crisis or difficulty or suffering. But it is the grace of God to actually cope with conflict and crisis. And so even in the midst of personal darkness, in the midst of difficulties, God's peace can be present in your heart. Oh, what hope we have in the Savior Jesus Christ, this child promised to us by Isaiah. This child is miraculous in how he came. This child is majestic in who he is. But wait, there is even more to come. This child, number three, is mighty in what he will do. He is mighty in what he will do. Our God Make no mistake about it. Listen to me. Our God is a promise-keeping God. That means what he promises, he will keep. What he says, he will do. God promised David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13. God told David this. I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The angel Gabriel comes and tells Mary 
In Luke chapter 1, verses 31 and 33, these words, And behold, you, Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. But listen to what else the angel said. He will be great, and he will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. What throne? The throne that was promised to David we just read about in 1 Samuel or 2 Samuel chapter 7. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Gotta get excited about that. That was better than yesterday's KU demolishing of the Missouri Tigers. This is better than that. This is something to celebrate and get excited about. Listen, Isaiah tells us that Jesus Christ is the one who will actually fulfill this promise of God here. He is mighty in what he will do. What will this child do? Notice three things he will do that Isaiah tells us. First of all, Jesus will rule and he will do so completely. The reality is the government of man leads to corruption. We see it all the time, do we not? Even in our own country. The good news, though, is that there is such a thing, such a government that will not let people down, but will lead to peace and satisfaction, and that is the government of none other than Jesus Christ. And it is this government that is spoken of here by the prophet Isaiah in chapter 9, verse 6, when it says, and the government will be upon his shoulders. In other words, what Isaiah is telling us here is that Christ's rule, it will be universal and it will be unequal. That means no one will vote Jesus out and no one will vote him in. Because this government is given to him by God. It is his government, and it will be upon his shoulders. And so he will rule completely. Number two, he will rule, that is Jesus, eternally, forever. Go back to verse 7 here in Isaiah chapter 9. Look what it says again. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. Did you catch what Isaiah says about this government? He says that no one will be able to challenge his authority. No one will be able to stop him and that the rule of this government, it will be upheld. And I love this. It will be upheld with justice and judgment or righteousness. This promise will be fulfilled one day by Jesus Christ in the coming millennial kingdom after he comes again. And oh, do we look forward to that day. Jesus will rule eternally. He will rule completely. And then Isaiah tells us here, he will rule powerfully. This government is so glorious that you might be tempted to say, yeah, how's that going to happen? seems impossible because all we know on this world are governments that are corrupted governments that rise and then fall in a matter of time 
And Isaiah is telling us something way different. How is that even possible? We might be a little skeptical of this. In Isaiah, this, you got to love this. In this prophecy here, Isaiah answers that skepticism for us. Did you notice it at the very end? Isaiah tells us in verse 7 how Jesus will rule powerfully, how this will come about, how this will be when he says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And we've already seen in the book of James that this terminology, Lord of hosts, is the Lord of power. It's sovereign power. It's God's almighty power. Listen, mankind has never been able to sustain this kind of government, this kind of just and righteous government. Only God himself can accomplish this and bring it all to pass. And Isaiah tells us that God will bring it about through this virgin-born child who is Jesus Christ and is coming again. There is a day when Jesus will return. And he will fulfill this promise of Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Looking to God for hope. That was the main issue that this prophet Isaiah was driving at with God's people in the days of Isaiah. They were in the midst of doom and gloom. They were overwhelmed with dark despair. And Isaiah, the spokesperson from God, comes to them to bring them a ray of hope to latch onto, to embrace, and to believe in so that they might persevere. And that's what we see here. And so it is fitting that Isaiah ends with our focus on Quote, this child. God's people are urged to look for a child who will bring peace and joy as the coming Savior. And of course, we, we today as God's people, we have all of the scriptures. Unlike the people in the Old Testament, we know the end of the story. We know how these prophecies of old were, un, were fulfilled. And so we know the story of what God did through Jesus Christ. We know that a virgin did conceive, that God did send his son. We know that the angel said in Luke 2.11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so when we read here in Isaiah 9.6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, we now know today, do we not, how God kept this promise. We also know what God accomplished through Jesus Christ, not just here at Christmas time, but at Easter on the cross. We know how Jesus suffered a death that he did not deserve in order to bring us here forgiveness and peace and reconciliation to God. What's more, we know what the Bible says about the future. We know the Bible promises that one day, Jesus is going to return, not as Savior, but as King and as Judge. 
and he will return to defeat the devil once and for all. He will return to bring all his redeemed people into the new heavens and the new earth where he will reign and rule forever. This is the ultimate hope that we now today look forward to in Jesus Christ as the Savior, the King, and the coming judge, this child who was born in Bethlehem. And so here is the good news. As you step back from Christmas, the good news is this child was not just for God's people in Isaiah's day. Listen, this child is God's gift to you and I today. Jesus himself, this child, is a gift from God to us, but it is a gift that must be received by faith. Do you realize that the most important part here in Isaiah 9, verse 6, the most important words are the first three words? You go back and look at verse 6 here. And what are the first three words? For to us. For to us, a child is born. And then Isaiah repeats it. For to us, a son is given. And that is what Christmas is all about. God giving his son as a gift to us is the greatest gift that any one of us can ever receive. God has a Christmas gift for you. No, it's not wrapped in bright paper and fancy ribbon, but in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. It's the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, and he's given this gift to you, but you must receive him by faith. Have you done that? Have you come to the point in your own life where you recognize I am a sinner in need of a Savior? And that Savior is not found in this world. It's not found within me. I can't save myself. I am hopeless and helpless apart from this child, this Savior, this coming King. And I need Him to save me from my sins to rescue me out of the dark despair of my sin. Because if I don't, that dark despair that we experience now in this lifetime, it will end in dark despair for all eternity in a place that the scriptures call hell. And so the question becomes, have we received this gift of God, this child by faith, putting our faith and trust in him to save us from our sins and receive him by faith, crying out for our need of a Savior. Oh, if you haven't yet, may you do that even now with your heads bowed. Let me encourage you to reflect on this child who was born for us. And as you do, let me ask, have you received the gift of God's son, Jesus Christ? Listen, if not, then today you can receive Jesus as your Savior. Today you can know for sure that your sins are forgiven and that you have eternal life with God. God invites you to trust Jesus for your salvation, to accept his forgiveness for your sins, and to receive eternal life. Heavenly Father, 
Oh, do we thank you for this child. This child that you sent into the world to be our Savior, to die in our place, to give us salvation and to rule as our King. And so, Father, would you open our eyes to see our need for this child? Would you grant us faith to believe and to receive him as our Savior and King now and forevermore? And for those of us who have already received him, Lord, may we follow him, may we trust him, may we rely on him, and not on ourselves. May we see the hope that is found in this child. And let us fix our hope on his coming so that we may persevere till he comes again. Lord, help us in your grace to do just that. And we thank you for the promise of Isaiah here. And we look forward to the ultimate fulfillment of this promise with his soon return. It's in your name we pray. Amen.